we're wrapping up the series on Kingdom Come. So I, I want to ask you a question. Since we always say Jesus is the reason for the season, if you had someone that would ask you, okay, Jesus is the reason for the season, and I hear about Jesus has good news, what, what is the good news that Jesus preached when he was here? Think about that for a moment. What, what was the good news Jesus preached while here on earth? Think. All right. Give me some feedback. What, what came to mind? Did you look at my notes? He, hold that thought. <laughs> what, what comes to mind? Eternity with God. His? Yeah, I'm going to come back to it. He stole my thunder. It was like that. I know. Dave, you got to quick sneak it over and take a look at my notes there. What, what comes to mind? Honestly, when someone says good news, what, what do we commonly hear in church? What? Salvation? Salvation? Access to God through Jesus? Forgiven? That's a big one, isn't it? You can be forgiven of your sin. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Yeah. And all those are elements. We're going to come back to Dave's comment. But, you know, oftentimes what you hear is, okay, you can receive Jesus in your heart and uh, your eternity is secured. You could go to heaven, right? That's kind of the evangelical church uh, gospel. But when you look at what Jesus preached when he was here, it's a fuller sense of good news. It's a more complete sense, which is really important for us to think about today. Yes, there's salvation, and that's huge. Going to heaven's huge. Being forgiven, huge. All those provisions, having access to huge. But what Jesus preaches is here. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is what Dave Moore is saying. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, this is the Gospel of Matthew. The synoptic Gospels are Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke. Those three Gospels are considered the synoptic, written kind of at the same sense, but they're targeting different audiences. And Matthew is targeting the Jewish audience. And Jews were very careful. In fact, rarely in Jewish tradition did they use the name of God because they were so concerned about using the name of God in vain that they wouldn't do it. So Matthew, the writer, doesn't say kingdom of God. He says kingdom of heaven, but he's talking about what the synoptic gospels, Luke and Mark are, kingdom of God, all the same thing. And so this good news that he's preaching, he preaches all throughout the gospels. He's always talking about the kingdom. And even in the end, in Acts, it says after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. There it is again. And this kingdom of God is really big and good news. I I don't think we talk about what that means enough. It's really important for us to wrap up kingdom come to really know what is the kingdom of God. And usually what happens to us when we read those verses is we get stuck. And we get stuck when we look at the verse where in this reading Do you think most people get stuck? How many say repent? 
Yeah. Repent. You, you, you go, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Oh, I hope it's good. I hope it's good. Repent. Oh. Repent. Because when we think about repent, it feels like it's this big word. And what it typically means is this. Get on the bus or you're toast. Right? Turn or burn. Repent or perish. You, you know, and, and there's this sense of it, it just feels heavy. And there, all these pictures have come to us about God being a hard taskmaster, and he's screaming at you like a drill instructor, just shouting, and he's no fun. And he wants you to get it right. Get it right. And so this, this, this whole picture of what repentance is all about has been really colored by a lot of wrong images and wrong thoughts. Because you were handcrafted to live in the kingdom of God. And the doorway into it is repentance. So we have to think about, what does it mean to really repent? What is the Bible? Because many times you have to look at these words and say, okay, what's the concept behind this word in the Bible? And what repentance is, there's really two things. When you look at the word, it's a combination of two root words. And what it's really talking about, first and foremost, is think about how you think. Think about how you think. So when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's like, think about how you think about the kingdom and about the king. And along with that idea of thinking, there's another part that comes in, which is like, and th- this is the Jesus part. It's like someone, if you're looking for something, how many of you misplace your keys? I do that once a week, whether I need to or not. And, you know, and so you're looking. And so some people, <laughs> some people will, I don't know why we do this to one another. But, you know, I'll do the same thing to Betsy and she'll do it to me. She, and she'll say, well, where'd you last leave them? Well, if I knew where I last left them, they wouldn't be lost. You know, <laughs> so we'll go back and forth. But this concept of repentance, of thinking about how you think, is also combined with someone going, hey, come over here and look. Hey, come on over here. Look, right here. And so it's not just about us thinking on our own. There's a, there's a joint sense of God waving to us and saying, over here, look here. It's here. I remember playing, when I used to play hide-and-seek with my kids. Did you ever do this when your kids were little? And they'd get so overwhelmed because they couldn't find you. You actually hid too good. So what would you do? You'd kind of make these sounds. When you, <clears throat> we're here! You know? And then, then you go over there, oh, I found you, Dad! There you are! Well, God, God's kind of going, I'm over here! But we want to think about how we're thinking, and we want God to begin to move us over to where he is because he is the king and the ruler of the kingdom of God. And so much of what Jesus did when he was here teaching was he would explain to people the right image of the kingdom. How often in the Gospels do you read, and the kingdom of heaven is like, and he would, he'll talk about all kinds of things. It's like a guy that found a treasure. It's like a pearl of great worth. It's all these different things. And even in the text that we're working from, Paul is also teaching, he's saying, for the kingdom of God is not. You see, the teachers are coming to give you corrective lenses so that you see what you need to see. Because every one of us here in this room has an ache in our soul to experience what Romans 14 is talking about, rightness, peace, 
and joy. Is there anyone here who doesn't want to feel right? In other words, to feel okay. I'm becoming who I'm supposed to be. You want to be right. And who in the world doesn't want to experience peace? Complete shalom? What? That's huge. And how about joy? Who doesn't want to experience this pervasive sense of well-being? But you see, if we're not thinking about the kingdom of God in right ways, we need corrective lenses, which is why Paul says in Romans 12, you need to be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. You need to think like God thinks. You need to really see it like he sees it. And so before we actually dig into where we're going to camp, I want to talk with you about thinking, and in, namely, beliefs. And if you were to take all beliefs, you could put them in one of three buckets. And I want to just give you the three buckets, and then we're going to define them. Because it's important, to th- again, to think about how we think. There's a public bucket, there's a private one, and then there's this mental map. Now, let me define them for you. Public beliefs are the things that I want you to believe, and I may or may not believe them myself. Politicians are great about public beliefs. They'll say many things, won't they? You get kind of numb to campaign promises. Some of them are kept. Believe it or not, they are. But then there's other ones where you go, there's no way that he's pulling that off. Or she's pulling that off. And so they're saying things they want you to believe it may or may not be true for them or in reality. Then there's private beliefs, things that I think I believe, but they don't materialize. They don't actually prove themselves to be solid in reality. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about Peter and his denial. Remember that? Peter is warned by the Lord. He says, listen, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And what does Peter say? Lord, you're absolutely right because you are the Christ. Does he say that? No. What does he say, people? He goes, not me. I think he really believed he wouldn't do it. I really thought, you know, I I can hear myself saying the same thing. No. Mark Spencer, do that? No. I do a lot of weird stuff, Jesus, but I never do that. But did it materialize? You guys know the story. Unfortunately, what he encountered was what he believed was not actually written deep down deep. And so he he fell. His mental map collapsed. And the mental map is the way I think things work. It's the way we, we begin. As we move through life, we create mental maps. Much like we create a mental map of the furniture in our living room. Did you realize when you walk into a familiar room, like your living room, that only about one-third of what you're seeing is coming through your eyes? A full two-thirds comes from the bank of your brain. And it pulls up images. That's why when the lights and the power go out in your house, you can still find your way around. Because you have a mental map of what that room looks like. Unless your wife plans a power artist and she rearranges the furniture just to have a few giggles. Right? But this mental map is like that. It's, it's how we think the world works. And some of it is actually how the world works. For example, there's a law of gravity, right? You don't have to think much about the law of gravity, do you? 
you know, when I get out of bed, all of a sudden I'm not floating up by the ceiling. Uh, you know, after all the Christmas cookies I ate, I hit the floor hard. Boom. Gravity. There you are. It, but I'm not, I'm not waking up in the morning going, oh boy, I've got to think about gravity today. No. It's, just, it's how the world works. Some weeks ago, Sharon had Brendan bravely climb up the ladder. Do you remember that? It was good fun, wasn't it? He was becoming increasingly aware of the law of gravity the higher he climbed. And so, so this mental map is the way I think things work. Some of it is actually how it works. Some of it isn't how it works. We have, so you'll have people who will say things about you or do things to you because they think either you're like them or they're trying to irritate you, but they've got this image of, of how life is supposed to work. Some of this we're aware of. Some of it we're unaware. So for, for Peter... When you look at his private beliefs and his mental map, he thought, there's no way I'm denying the Lord. Not after all this time. And then all of a sudden his mental map collapsed when he encountered these people at the different uh, places. And they asked him, aren't you one of them? No, I don't even know the guy. And bam. And what we want to become increasingly aware of and what God wants us to become increasingly aware of, what repentance is about is, hey, You need to take a look at your mental map, Mark. Because what you think of me or what you think about what I'm asking you to do isn't right. And I have to be open to changing my mental map, the renewing of my mind, in order that I might be transformed. Does that make sense? So you you can see this. I have a friend named Dan Porta, and uh, he uh, does skydiving. How many, have you guys skydive? Anyone here? Wow. Was it like when you got ready to jump out, what was it like? They push you out. There's an honest soul. Because what Dan was telling me is he says, listen, when you're down on the ground instructing these people about skydiving and you're telling them all the different things and how to control it and how it's going to work and what you're going to do, they're all going, yep, yep, yep. Okay, does everybody know this? You've got to take a test. Take the test. You pass your test. Okay, is everybody ready to go plane? Yep, yep, yep. Once you get up into the plane and up into the air and you're on the precipice of getting out, he says, more often than not, why? Because your belief system, your mental map is going, e-cats. And he's shouting to them, remember what I told you? Remember how the shoot works? Remember how I'm going to be with you? And I'm da 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 like, we don't care. I can't even see houses down there. I'm not jumping out. I might have a Boy Scout backpack on. No way. So Dan says, most times i got to give them a little love nudge out there. And they can tell the ones that are really panicking. Well, here's the deal. The Bible has a lot of jumps. A lot of skydiving happens in the Bible. For example, it's better to give than receive. And we go, yeah, I know that. But I just let God tug on that wallet. And what happens? What? You know, and, and you know, so all of a sudden your mental map, I was, okay, okay, my belief is I, I read it. It's better to give than receive. But God, I'm an American. I'm a consumer. I buy stuff. I need stuff. And you, you start to have a kingdom war. 
Am I the only one doing this? I mean, I struggle with How about this? Turn the other cheek. Some of you are with family this Christmas. Glory, hallelujah. How'd turn the other cheek go? Right? How about pick up your cross and follow me? What? I thought I get a new Cadillac when I sign on. What's this cross stuff? Listen to what Paul says. Acts 14.22 We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now our mental map in America, this is where it blows up, is we assume that the American dream and the gospel are like this. And all I got to do is sign on with Jesus and it's going to be a pleasure cruise until he takes me up to glory. Don't we? Come on, you guys. I, I think that. Because when it doesn't go the way according to Mark Spencer's plan, what does Mark Spencer do? I lay on the ground. So upset. I make two-year-olds look mature. Because God is messing with my mental map. And what is, what's happening is kingdoms are clashing. And what God is making clear to me is the kingdom of God is near. In fact, it's too close for my comfort. You really want me to give? And so the three kingdoms that are operating, the kingdom of God and kingdom of Satan, we say, yeah, you go kingdom of God. You jack Satan up. That's right. Whoop him. Punch him once for me. And why he's down, kick him. Get him. But don't, whoa, don't mess with the kingdom of me. It's a small kingdom, but it's lovely. It works according to everything Mark Spencer wants. Perfect. Perfect. Just don't mess with it. And you know, these kingdoms form, they form early. How many of you raise kids? So you pass through the wonderful two-year-old stage that looks like this. They're defining their kingdom. What are two-year-olds, what's their two favorite words? Mine, that's a kingdom word, and what? And no, exactly, we all know it. And we all use it in the definition of our own kingdom, mine. As adults, we have different ways to say it, kind of polite, appropriate, politically correct ways. But we're saying the two-year-old thing, aren't we? That's mine. No. Boy, that's, she's got a game face, doesn't she? I don't know that I'd want to... But so, here's the deal. And you've got to understand this. We start to think the only way that my kingdom and God's kingdom can peacefully stay together is that somehow I become God's footstool. He puts me under his thumb. But that doesn't jive with what truth says. In Genesis, when the whole thing starts, God spends all this time creating an incredible earth. I mean, look at the beauty of the earth despite all the abuse it's taken. It's crazy beautiful, isn't it? I mean, I realize right now it can kind of look ugly, but that, like, you get a little decoration of that white snow, and then at night when the stars are out, you're just like, it's still pretty, even though it's cold and snowy, you know. That still looks good, God. That's crazy. He gets done creating that. What does he do? He says, here, I want you to rule over it. 
And really what God is saying is, I want you to rule over your kingdoms in a way that reflects my rulership. With generosity, hospitality, kindness, invitation, inclusion. I want you to rule like that. But God, you often hear this, that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and he will not cross our will. Have you heard that? In many respects, this is true. Don't ask Saul, who became Paul, that. I mean, he got... God was coming in whether he to open the door or not. And there are times where God would say, I'm coming. Because God is God. He does what he needs to do. But God wants to cooperate with our wills. He honors our personhood. He honors that. And, and so I, I want us to realize that, you know, we, we don't need to carry on with this kind of look if we're going to move with the kingdom. We're, we're not, God, he's not violating that. The king, Jesus, is a very beautiful king. He's a very generous king. He comes to earth to model precisely, unmistakably, this is how God is. When you get into Hebrews, it opens up right away and it says, Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. Exact. What you see in Jesus is exactly how God is. How was Jesus in the gospel? Do you see how he relates to broken people? Do you see his love? It astounds me when he's on an important mission. He's walking down the street with his students and someone says, Hey, my son is sick. Will you come to my house? What does Jesus do? Contact my people. My people will get in touch with your people. He stops. He turns around. He goes to the house. This is God. This is God. This is why we... We did this the series on the divine scrapbook. So we start to get a picture of God because if we're going to start to move with the king and the kingdom, we've got to have the right picture. And oftentimes, this is the picture we have of God. And we're up in the plane of faith, and we know he's asking us to make a jump of faith. We feel like God's right there going, Argh! Let me ask you. When God asks you to go on a little faith adventure... And you're at that moment, you're at that juncture, you know. Here I am. It's jump or not. What's your picture of God? Because it's critical. Is it the Bible picture? Or is your mental map at that moment, ooh, he's just a God who likes to mess with people. He's down here messing with me. You need to notice things like this. This is what Jesus is, a corrective lens. He says, look, but seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock. For your father has been coerced to give you the kingdom. Does it read that way? Oh, the father's been obligated to give you the kingdom. What does it say? He's pleased. Some of you just went through the celebration of gift giving. Isn't it fun? We had a four-year-old at our house. Four-year-olds in Christmas, it's fun. You just want to buy presents just to watch their face. Here, open this. It's for me. Yes, it's you. And it's so much fun to give, isn't it? You know what I mean. And then they tear it open and they're like, oh! They do the, ah, for about 10 seconds and put it down and go, what's next? Right? But it's, it's a, 
it's this pleasure experience of giving, right? The kingdom, everything in the kingdom is yours. What kind of king in history does that? This is a mind-blowing king. And you see, at these moments when you're getting ready to do this jump of faith, you're feeling this struggle. Is it going to be the king and I, or is it just going to be I? And at that, mo- that moment, that's, that's what's affecting whether or not you're going to experience righteousness, rightness, peace, or joy. You're either going to experience what's in the kingdom, or you're going to experience what's in your kingdom, which isn't that. Right? So this concept of the kingdom is near is Jesus is saying, hey, you need to change the way you're thinking about God and his rule. And you need to get in the car like Eric Clapton and B.B. King. You guys know I like blues. Riding with the king. We need to bump them out and and we need to... I need to be in the back seat, and God needs to be driving. If you got one of those God is my co-pilot bumper stickers, please get rid of it. That's not going to help you. I don't want God to be my co-pilot. That still means I got the wheel. I would rather be in the back seat and to say, God, I don't know how to make this turn. I know you want me to jump. I know this is a turn, and you're saying, I need to do this. I need to forgive. I need to reach out to, I need to go to, I need to serve. I, and, and at this moment, I need you to drive. And I need the resources of the kingdom of God to come to me. Which, by the way, when the kingdom of God is present in your life, that's what we call grace. You know the kingdom is working on you and through you when you encounter grace. I remember... Uh, with my dad, when I became a Christian, gosh, I was just nasty. Talk about turn and burn. Just telling my parents, you're going to go to hell. It's like, how is that helpful? How are you, Mark? Good, but you're not. You're going to hell. It's like, what? That's a great conversation starter. Just really in my zeal. I thought I was, you know, doing what's right. It's crazy what our mental maps will do sometimes, isn't it? So I knew that was really bad. Bad. So I, I knew that I needed to ask my dad in particular for forgiveness. And it was hard because my dad had done some things that I was kind of waiting for him. Well, he's the older, and I had that conversation with the king. It was, my dad's the dad. He's supposed to lead. He's, you know, what about him? Isn't it interesting how God will just let you rant for a little while? And then finally when you've got to catch your breath, it goes, can I have a word? <laughs> Sure, God, go ahead. And I knew, I knew that I needed to ask forgiveness. So I thought I'd write a letter. God said no. I thought I'd call. No. Need to do a face-to-face. That's important, isn't it? So in the moment, I said, God, I, 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 in order to do this, I don't know how to do this. You know, asking for forgiveness in those hard places, that's hard, isn't it, people? I mean, you're, you're really opening yourself up. It's vulnerable. And who knows what he's going to say. So I said, Dad, I don't know if I'm even doing this right. I just know I need to start this conversation. I am really sorry for what I said. That was not at all like God. It was a lot like Mark. You know what my dad said? Yeah, I know. 
I thought, you rascal. Don't mess up my forgiveness thing here. So I asked him, I said, can I forgive you? He goes, I already have. I said, no, really, Dad, will you forgive me? And we, then we had a broader conversation after that. But to get to the moment, I needed to let God drive. I needed to realize the kingdom resources are there. They're near. They're available. That's what Jesus is saying. What you need in order to live this life is now available to you. Everything. Stores open. You have access. You need grace? You got it. You need peace? You got it. You need joy? You got it. But are you going to let me drive? And when we do that, we discover there's rightness, there's peace and joy, but all has got to happen with how we're thinking. If we really want to experience what Romans 14 says we can, the kingdom come, what Jesus comes to announce, that the kingdom of God is near, it's available. In those moments when we've got to take the leap of faith, the jump of faith, to talk to the person we've been avoiding, to mend the situation that we've just buried under the carpet, Whatever the restitution, whatever the situation, will we let God drive? The way that we access comes through this prayer that we often have prayed in churches. Matthew says it this way, this then is how you should pray if you're going to really access the resources of heaven. Our Father, notice, he doesn't say our boss, our sergeant, our general. He doesn't even say our king. He says our Abba. The the deepest, most intimate form of Jewish relating. Your Abba. Your Papa. In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words... Lord, what's up there, let it come down here. I'm sliding over in the car. In fact, I'm getting in the back seat of the car. Would you take the wheel? And in that moment, what happens is kingdom come. And if you don't have your mind renewed on this, you start to think that this whole Christian thing, the kingdom idea is, I have a ticket for a a train or a plane. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. That eventually I'll get to heaven. And everything will be okay. In the meantime, who knows how it's going to go. It's going to be a free-for-all. But at the moment when you say take over, what you see is the true thing that happens in the Bible. The kingdoms intersect. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth are joined. They're not separate. When Jesus came, he said, I'm here to bring the kingdom now. Have heaven now. Does it mean that everything goes perfect? No, because we're not in heaven. But we have all seen situations like my conversation with a dad where I thought, this is not going to go well. It went tremendously well. Why? Because the kingdom gave me resources I needed. And you decide whether or not you're going to experience kingdom come in the moment. In those moments where you you you. You're in this place because, you know, when you have a discussion with your spouse and it doesn't go real good, you know what I'm talking about? Where you don't see eye to eye and the 
their kingdom clashes with your kingdom? This ever happened to you? Of course, what you want to do is you want to sit on the couch together and snuggle. Right? What do you do? If they're in the living room, where do you go? Downstairs. You don't want to be anywhere near them. But at the moment, all of a sudden, Jesus is calling to you saying, Hey, over here. I want you to change the way you're thinking. Why don't you invite my kingdom? And that gap that you're feeling, I can fill. You gads, can I jump out of a plane instead, Jesus? No. Get in the car. At that moment, when you ask for forgiveness, when you say, could we restart that conversation? Could we do this in a way where you're happy and I'm happy and Jesus is happy? Kingdom meets earth. That happens. You've all experienced this. When you follow Jesus in the situation, you go, wow. Right? And what Jesus is saying and what Paul is calling to us is, is I want you guys to experience that. I want you to see the alignment of the kingdom of God and your kingdom working, pushing out the enemy. I want you to say today, this situation, this moment, this conversation, this need, whatever it is, Jesus, would you please come with your kingdom resources? I'll let you drive and I'll go where you go. This isn't for special people. This isn't just for the Apostle Paul. This isn't just what the disciples had to do with Jesus. This is what God has for every person in this room. He wants you to experience rightness, peace, and joy. The question is, will we merge our kingdom with his and let him drive? How many of you heard of a fellow named Nicholas Herman? I didn't think anyone would. Nicholas was an everyday guy, everyday Joe. He did a stint in the military, did some gardening, and then he really began to write the beginnings of his book when he was a dishwasher. And Nicholas was not happy with his life. In fact, he wondered if he was really saved. He'd write that in his memoirs. wonder if I'm really saved. And he struggled. And then one day, he had the realization while walking in the woods, praying, he looked at a tree And he realized the truth of Psalm 1 about being planted in the Word, about being planted in the presence of God. And he realized what he needed to do was anchor the thoughts of his heart with the truth of the Word. And it was a revelation. The kingdom had come near to Nicholas. And so he began to do incredible things. And his incredible things got combined, or his letters that he, in memoirs that he wrote, got written into a book called The Practice of the Prince of God, and he became Brother Lawrence. Have you heard of Brother Lawrence? The book Practicing the Presence of God is only second to the Bible in Christian readership over the last four centuries. Why? If I asked you, would you like to experience the presence of God in your life in a more complete way, how many of you would say no? Of course not. That's why we're here. And the practice of the presence of God begins with sliding over into the back seat and saying, Lord, would you drive through this situation? I will trust your kingdom resources. And I will practice your presence.
practice. What kind of year would 2015 be if in every relationship, in every conversation, in every encounter, we slid over? Would it be a good year? We might be talking bumper crop people. Let's pray for that now, can we? Lord, we're about to start a new year. It's good in many ways to start new things. As we do that, we're mindful of you're inviting us to get on board, to let you drive. We're going to have places, Lord, we're like jumping out of a plane, freaking out. We're going to have places where we wonder. We're going to have places where we make a mistake and you're going to say, that's all right, let's practice it again. But would you remind us, every heart that's earnestly saying, I'd like to do this, would you hear that? Would you send your spirit who will always be calling to us, hey, over here, think about this a little differently. We'll give you the glory and the honor. Lord, as we give you these offerings, we also ask, would you multiply them? Would you use them for your good? And would your kingdom come and your will be done at Bridgewood Community Church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.